Welcome to the ALSC Podcast. Here at ALSC, we seek the lost, teach the found, and send the disciples. We truly hope you are encouraged by this week's message. I'm excited for the word tonight because uh, tonight I want to share with you uh, just one thought in two verses. Two verses that hopefully when we radically see this, maybe we'll think a little bit differently. And so if you're taking notes, I just want you to write this thought down. Uh, navigating negativity. Navigating negativity. You know, First Chronicles talks about uh, a family of people known as the sons of Issachar. And the sons of Issachar, it was said that they understood the times and they knew, a way, they knew how to lead Israel through the signs of the times. And I think as believers, you and I are called to understand the times that we live in, what's happening in the world around us, and to be able to navigate people. You know, it says the sons of Issachar navigated Israel. It didn't say the sons of Issachar uh, navigated Persia. It doesn't say that the sons of Issachar uh, navigated or understood the times for Babylon or, or, or Canaan. It said they understood the times to share with Israel, their people. And so you and I, as we sit here today and we listen to this message today, we come together and we're all gathered under one umbrella, and that's Jesus Christ. Uh, if we would understand the times we live in, hopefully we can navigate one another through the signs of the times and what's happening, but really navigating negativity, or in other words, the thoughts, thoughts, thinking, that is ne negating and brings us down. You know, one, one time I was, in, uh, I was in San Diego, and uh, they had a little bay. And in the bay, you can't, you can't get any vehicles in the bay. And so um, what a lot of people would do is they would, if they, had, if they lived anywhere on the bay, maybe they had a house or a condo there, uh, they would pull their boat, no matter what size it was. It wasn't massive, but it was, it was a relative size. I mean, so it wasn't, and I'll come back to this, I mean, it wasn't a big boat like this. It was just kind of a, a small sailboat. And what they would do is they would pull the boats ashore, but what everyone would do that lived there is they would take the sail out of the boat and they would store the sail in their house. And, and so what the thinking was, because you couldn't get the boat between the homes, and so the only way that you could steal the boat if you wanted to, you'd have to drag it all the way to the water. But the problem is, if you didn't have the sail that was made for it, you're not going anywhere anytime fast. There was nothing to propel the boat. And so many people, they just bring their boat ashore and they'd store it and they'd take the sail out so the sail, the boat, couldn't be taken away or even stolen. And a lot of times for us, what we do with our minds and what we do with our thoughts is we leave our sail pitched everywhere that we go. So as long as someone just blow a little wind your way, they can navigate you where they want to go. And so this could be the enemy, this could be your neighbor, this could be your coworker. this could be yourself, this could be your sin, as long as there's just a little bit of a fresh wind, a little bit of, oh, someone offered to get you coffee one day when you're going to work and you asked for the new pumpkin spice mocha and they brought you a peppermint mocha. For some of y'all, that'll literally ruin your day. It'll ruin your day. 
You see, in a lot of times, we allow, especially as Christians, we turn on the news and we just allow a little bit of wind to blow our way. Man, my mood is done. I'm not in the mood anymore. A lot of times, we'll let some negativity happening in our home or with our spouse just to blow our way. You see, what we're going to look at today is the Apostle Paul teaches us how to bring our sails down when we don't want negative thoughts or negative things to affect our thinking, how to strengthen our thought life, how to strengthen our mind, because there's a reason why one of the armors of God is the helmet of salvation. See, the helmet of the salvation is the knowledge of God's goodness, his salvation for your life. So if the enemy could penetrate your thoughts on who you are to God, and he can navigate your thoughts, well, then everything else, the mind leads the whole body. So if I'm walking and I'm thinking I want to go right, it starts in my mind. If I think I want to go left, it starts in my mind. If I want to go straight, it starts in my mind. And so if the enemy can attack your mind, then he can direct you where to go. And so one of the things the Apostle Paul teaches that we're going to look at today is how do I get to a place where just like anyone would go to the gym and strengthen their muscles, just like anyone may read a book to strengthen their mind in terms of your, your language, in terms of your intellect, in the same way, Paul gives us some remedies to strengthen our Christian mind, our spiritual mind, so that we can navigate negativity. Got to navigate negativity. Uh, a famous poet once said this, and then we're going to jump into the verse with Apostle Paul. Uh, a famous poet once said this, his name's Walt Whitman, and he said, I envy cattle that graze contently in a meadow eating grass. He says, because they never have to worry or dwell on troublesome thoughts. Have you ever just, have you ever walked by a farm and, and seen cows in distress? Just like, like how you and I do when we walk around like this, like, ah. Oh, like, have you ever walked and seen a cow doing that in a farm? You ever walk by and just seen a cow like, ooh, ooh. It, it's, it's got nothing going on up here, that cow. Cow does the same thing every single day. It gets up, it grazes, it drinks water, it goes to sleep. That's what it does every single day. It's got no worries. And so in that same case, it's got no worries. It, it knows it's, it doesn't, it's not worried where food's going to come from. It's not worried where the water's going to come from. It's not mentally exhausted. It's not going through any mental emotions. Why? Oh, because it's not thinking about much. Sometimes you and I need to get to a place where we don't think so much. It would actually benefit us if you stopped thinking so much. I know it's hard to do. <laughs> I, know, I know we like to feel like we're getting something done or we're accomplished something. But sometimes, one of the best things you can do for your life is go take a nap. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. You take a nap. One of the best things you can do when you're worrisome. Just do nothing. See, the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians, which we're going to see in a second, it's known as uh, one of the most famous verses in all of the Bible. All of the Bible is written in Philippians chapter 4. Many of us know it. It is a statement by the Apostle Paul that says this, I can do all things, help me finish, it, 
through Christ who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And we use it all the time. If you're an athlete, you have it on your, your helmets. You have it on your, your backpack. You have it on your everything. If you, you, many of us will have it in our Instagram bios, our Tic Tac bios. Uh, Tic Tac. <laughs> See that? I don't know if they're going to sue me if I say their real name. So I'm just going to, you know. Um, no, but we use it all the time. But what we have to understand is within its context, in Philippians, the Apostle Paul was in prison. And the prison system during Paul's day is not like the prison system of today's day. Even though today's day prison system is not so pretty, but it is prison. But in his day, the prison was also not only a discipline, it's not only, we call them rehabilitation centers, like we want to rehabilitate you, but in their day, they were really punishment systems, they weren't prison systems. And so you would be put in prison below ground in the sewage department, and so you would have urine coming and trailing down your feet, you would have feces coming down and trailing your feet, you would have mice and other animals come and crawling on you at night. You would be malnourished the whole time. You would not get three square meals a day. And so you are genuinely going through one of the worst times of your life if you're during an Roman imprisonment time. And so Paul is actually in this time in prison for preaching Jesus. And so when the apostle Paul says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ who strengthens me, what, it, what he's not talking about is going pro in football. It's not what he's talking about. He's not talking about that, oh, if you just set your mind to it and Jesus is the center, you could do it. Now, there's some relative truths within some of these things of obedience in God, but, but that verse is not really stating that encouragement for us. It's actually someone that's in the lowest point of their life that they could be, both physically, emotionally, emotionally, and spiritually, and where he could throw in the towel, where he could give up, where he could commit suicide, where he can throw in the towel. He's in that place, and he's saying, you know what, guys? As hard as this prison experience is, as hard as every single day I wake up and I have feces all over me and I have mice all over me as hard as those things are because I came here with Jesus I can do all things through Jesus I can get through this says I can do it in Jesus Christ and so it's a moment where you are in absolute mental abyss He is mentally fighting for his life. It's not a moment of discipline. It's not, oh, I just got to get up and work hard and God's going to take care of me. It's literally like I have to, in this moment, change my way of thinking because if I don't, I don't know that I'm going to make it till tomorrow. And so that's where Paul speaks to us. And then at the end of chapter 4, we're right at the beginning, rather going into the end, he begins to prescribe us some areas and some things to think about when you are navigating negativity. So he literally, because people are, people, you know, Apostle Paul, he's in prison in Rome. He's writing a letter to the Philippian church, people in Philippi. And he loved that church in Philippi. And so he's encouraging them about godly living. He's speaking life into them about who Jesus is. But then he's also making them aware of the reality that he's in, the tough part he's in. And then he begins to teach the church, you may wonder how I can get up every day and I can still live to fight on. 
And so he says, what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to give you some prescriptions on how to navigate your thoughts. And that's exactly what it tells us. And he actually tells us it in two verses, just a couple sentences. But they're powerful, and that's all we're going to spend today because it is enough that actually some of this ought to be shrunken down just to be able to fit it for today. Believe it or not, these two verses we could talk about for four weeks if we wanted to. But I want you to look at Philippians chapter 4, verses 8 to 9. Philippians chapter 4, and I want you to remember the predicament that Paul is in, the mental space that he's in, the anguish, the punishment, the torment that he is in. And he says this starting in verse 8. It's his conclusion. It's the period to all the other four verses. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think, think, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard, you've seen it in me. So he's saying, look at my life. Look how I stay true to my faith. Look how I trust God in hard times. And then he says this, practice these things. And the God of peace will be with you. You know, the greatest thing that we can have when we are mentally exhausted is peace from God. It's one of the greatest things that we could ever have. And the Apostle Paul, this is all we're going to break down, is we're going to break down the whatevers that Paul just told us. Because it's the whatevers that not only is it a frame of thinking, he also tells us to practice these things. See, a lot of times we don't understand. We don't understand that thinking also means action, practicing. So sometimes we just think it's a thought of something. Well, I'm just, I'm just fighting this thought. I'm fighting this thing. Or I want to do this. Or I believe God is leading me here. And then when I respond or someone else in brother Christ responds and we say, well, what are you doing about it? You say, I'm just waiting on a word from God. You're waiting too long. <laughs> You've been waiting for 10 years. And so what happens is we have to get to a place where now not only is our thinking in a space that's submitted to God, but so is our practice. Like Apostle Paul tells us. He says, think on these things and then what? Practice these things. If you think on these things and you practice on these things, then what will happen is, is the God of peace will what? Be with you. So it's an action. It's like an equation. And so he begins to give us what happens. So what Paul is referring to right now, and then we're going to dig in right now, is he's talking about, yeah, I have a lot of negative thoughts. I have a lot of bad stuff happening to me right now. I'm going through a hell of a time in my life. I feel like I'm in hell. But he goes, but I have not let it swallow me. So that's what he tells us right now. And then, and then the question is, well, how, Paul? Why, Paul? Why aren't you giving up? And he says this. He says, because, and then he says the whatevers. He says, whatever is honorable, whatever is just. We're going to break these down right now. Because when he says whatever, what he's actually saying is he's saying, when there is a time to think about what God has done, which is honorable in your life, you need to think on that. And you need to do that. So when he's saying whatever, he's talking about a thought, and then he's talking about an action. So for us today, when we navigate negative thoughts, we have to think of the thought, 
then we have to put the action in the same regard. And so that's what we're going to be looking at and fighting today. I want you to look at this for a moment. I want you to see the first statement that he says. He says, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is true. So remember, whenever we see a whatever, it's a thought followed by an action. So the first thing we have to ask ourselves is, what is truth? What is truth? Because he says, whatever is true, so he says, think about whatever is true. Because a lot of times you and I are in a circumstance that though it may seem bleak, though it may seem hard, it's actually a falsehood of what we're experiencing about the truth and the reality of who God is. Have you ever asked the question before, why is God allowing this to happen to me? You see, that's giving to a falsehood that you think God is punishing you or you think that God is somehow an egomaniacal king somewhere that's like, oh, I'm just going to put you through this. I'm going to put you through that. And so therefore, we begin to lean into false statements, false thinking, start to live into things that aren't even true to God's word. And then what? It begins to, we begin to put it into practice. We begin to scorn doubt in our mind about who God is, about what God's word says. So he begins with first, whatever is true. So we think about what is true, and then we act on what is true. And so John chapter 17, verse 16 to 17 says this. Speaking, this is Jesus speaking. They are not of the world, just, just as speaking of us, you and I. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. So everyone in here, y'all are aliens. Not illegal aliens, but just aliens. You're not of this world, okay? And so what it is, is, and he says, verse 17, sanctify them in truth. And then he says, your word is truth. So he says that you and I are sanctified. We're made pure. We're seen as approved by God. By what? God's word. His truth. So if God didn't say it, then it's not true. A lot of us today, we live and, and go by false truths. We act on false truths all the time. I just have a couple of on them. You could go on your own and you could think about more. Here's some false truths that you and I have heard all the time, or we've even caught ourselves saying false truths before. Here's a false truth we've said before. Good things happen to those who wait. What does that even mean? Good things happen to those that wait. What does that mean? It's all we always just say it when it comes to, oh, you didn't get what you wanted, so be patient. Good things will come to those who wait. No, good things don't always come. And good things don't always come to those who don't do nothing. So it's a statement of laziness, and it's a statement of false expectation. It doesn't say, what it should say is peace comes to those who wait on the Lord. That's what it should say. Not good things come to those who wait. Wait on what? Wait on who? And why is good always coming my way? I don't know what that means. I live in a sinful world. Good is not always going to happen in a sinful world. When I have to deal with human people every single day... 
I am living in a falsehood to think that just because I'm a Christian, good is on my way. And the thing is, Christians just aren't the only ones saying that. So when the non-Christians say it good, who giving you the good? And ain't God, you don't know them. Where the good coming from? We say these false truths all the time. Here's another one. If you can't handle me on my worst, you don't deserve me at my best. What? Wait. So I'm supposed to let you cuss me out, throw a jar at my head, kick me in the face, tell me I'm scum, or whatever else, and if I am over it, I can't handle you at your worst, so I don't deserve you at your best, when is the best coming? Because I've only seen the worst. But we say that all the time. These are false truths. Here's another false truth. It doesn't matter who started it. Parents, we ever said that before? It doesn't matter who started it. Actually, it does matter who started it. Because the one who started it ought to be beat. The one who didn't should not be beat. But parents, you and I, we are equal opportunity employers. If one child is getting a whoop, they all getting a whoop. But again... It's a false truth. It's a false truth. When I'm at work and one employee doesn't do something, we don't all get fired. The one employee gets fired. So it's not a matter of just equalness in regard to mistakes. It's a falsehood. Here's another one. Uh, You can achieve anything you set your mind to. What? I'm going to tell you, guys. I know you may think, but I could never be an NBA player, okay? I'm 5'8". I could never be an Olympic high jumper. I can, regardless of what society says, I could not become a, a, a female high jumper. I could not become a female basketball player. I am limited. So I cannot do anything I set my mind to. There are stipulations. So if I teach my son, you can do anything you set your mind to, that's not the reality. That's not the reality. There's not an ounce of Asian in my son's life. So he could not win a Korean acting award. He could not. There are stipulations. But you see, every single day, you and I, we tie our thoughts and our emotions to false truths and false statements that we just live by every single day. And we treat these words and we apply them in our life blindly. And we don't think that part of the negative emotions that we're going through is because we have taken a false truth and we've treated it as what? Truth. But if you really want to know what truth can be spoken over your life, you got to go to the word. you got to go to God's word. And if you're making statements about God without ever cracking this thing open, then you're only sharing your opinion. So if you ever say God's doing this or God this, you should first have gathered that statement by first cracking this open and reading this and then going, actually, no, that's not God. And so we have to get to a place where our truth is informed 
by God's word. Then the next thing Paul says, so if I know that truth, now I act on it. So there's lies the enemy throws every day, false truths the enemy throws every day. Like you'll never accomplish anything. You'll never do anything good. You're not smart enough. You'll never make it. Uh, God is mad at you. God hates you. He's angry at you. And, and you can never heal from this situation from your childhood. You can never get over this past relationship. He says those things every single day. But God's word says otherwise. So we got to hold to what is true. So the apostle Paul, he's like, I'm in prison right now, but the devil is a liar. This prison is a lie. This prison is trying to take me down and pull me from my call. So therefore, he says, I can do all things through Jesus Christ. In other words, I could be in this prison and I can still make Jesus famous even in this prison. That's true. Then he says this. He says, whatever is honorable. So now he makes a statement and then now we have to think upon it. Then we have to act upon it. So now we have to ask ourselves, well, what is honor? What is honorable? What does it mean to think upon honor, and what does it mean to act upon honor? Because the Apostle Paul says that's transformational thinking. So here's what it is. There's three other verses in the New Testament that use the, the same Greek word for honor that's used here in this statement, and it deals with church leaders every time. So the statement Paul just said isn't for church leaders, but all the other three verses do talk about church leaders. Here's what 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 8 says. It says, deacons, these are church leaders in the church. Deacons are people that help the work of the ministry. We have deacons in our church uh, that aren't staff and that serve the church on a regular basis. Deacons, likewise, must be men of dignity. Men of dignity, it's the same word as honor. So in this case, we're using the word dignity for honor. So they must be men of dignity, no double-tongued, or addicted to much wine, or in other words, bonded to addictions, and he says this, or sordid gain, or doing things for their own selfish gain. And then he says in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 11, this is still the Apostle Paul, he says, women must likewise be what? Dignified, so again, honorable, and he says, not malicious gossips, but temperate, faithful in all things. So he tells us to be honorable is something to be dignified, and for the men, it's not to be double-tongued. It's not to be liars. It's not to be back-talkers. It's men not to be people who give our word and never fulfill our word, never to say, I'll always be there for my wife, and I'll always be there for my kids, and the first sign of trouble. It's difficult to stick around. He says we can't be double-tongued men. And then in the same way, he says, or addicted to much wine. In other words, cannot let your addictions lead your life. It's inhonorable, unhonorable to be addicted to something that causes a schism between you and those around you. And then he says, or sordid gain, looking for opportunistic gains on people. And then for the women, he says, not to be malicious gossips, but temperate. Not angry fast, not, not driven by emotions fast. And then he says, and then faithful in all things, being faithful to your family, being faithful to your purpose, be faithful to your calling. And then Titus chapter 2, verse 2 says this, older men are to be temperate, dignified, again, honorable, sensible, sound in faith, and in love, and in perseverance. You see, what the apostle Paul says is he says this, he says, even in this prison, I will be dignified. I'll be honorable. I won't be cussing the jailers out. 
I won't be making a file to get out of this prison. I won't be harming someone else to get ahead. See, you see, when he says honorable, he's saying what it is is I'm not going to lose my character for the sake of my situation or my circumstance. And so if you want transformational thinking, what you have to do is you have to think in a place that you are always acting in honor. Your statements are honorable. Your words are honorable. A lot of times we're not having transformational thinking because we're not being dignified. We're undignified. We treat everyone else like the world treats everyone else. And so the Apostle Paul says transformational thinking gets to a place where we are given to dignity and we treat people with dignity. And then he says this. Then he says, whatever is just. Whatever is just. What is justness? What it means is what we're talking about, Apostle Paul talks about, is he says, are your actions in alignment with God? Are your actions, God is just. God is a just God. God does not do things unjustly. Unjustly would be like some of the false truths that I said. Unjustly would have said, it doesn't matter who did it, everyone. That's unjust. Unjust. And we're human. We do unjust things all the time. But to be one that has transformational thinking means what I have to do is before I make an action in my life, before I make a call, first I have to decide, God, are you paving this path for me? Am I in alignment with you, with your word? Am I in alignment with who you are? I remember when I was much younger, my wife was much younger, uh, she had an opportunity uh, to work for TMZ, the big gossip company. And uh, they scouted her, and she did so good, and she got two job offers at the same time. We were dating for about two weeks at that time. And she got a job offer for one with a company called Easter Seals, which was her passion to work with kids with autism. And then at the same time, she got a juicy job offer with great pay with TMZ and was going to move to L.A. and be in their offices and be in TV. And we dating for two weeks. And I remember I got the call from her, and she said, I got the offer of two jobs. What should I do? And I was a young pastor. We were young dating. And my response to her was, I think you should make the decision that's in alignment with God. And I said, think about it. What is in alignment with God? To work with kids who have developmental disabilities or talk about where LeBron James had dinner last night, and was it with a girl that's his wife, or was it not with a girl that was his wife? And uh, at the time, she said, all, all my friends and everyone's telling me to take the TMZ job, and I think I'm going to do it. And she knows, I prayed and contemplated to, to, to whether I should break up with her in that moment. But ultimately, I chose other. I said I, I said, I think I really like this girl. I said, God, will you fire her? Will you get her to lose her job? And two months later, with no, 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 no reason, wrongful termination, she got fired on the spot. She's like, hey, we don't have a place. And I looked at her, and I was like, hey, I got to be honest. I was praying for that joint. And I'm a man of God, and so you bet you would have needed a lot of other prayer words to contend with that prayer right there. 
But that was it. I mean, I cared outside of, yeah, we were both young. Of course, my natural instinct was like, yeah, I want you to do that. I mean, that's cool. But, but then there's the, but is this in alignment with God? Is this just? And, and, and I love that shortly after that, she's like, you know what? It was the wrong thing to do. It wasn't. I, I, and it, literally within three days of her working, she knew it was the wrong fit. She knew it was the wrong fit. And so what happens sometimes as a Christian, you're uncomfortable and you're going through a mental battle because you're in a space that's not just and not in alignment with God. And, and you're asking God to give you peace about something that isn't in alignment with God's character. And we're asking God to do a miracle in a space that we're not even supposed to be in, in a decision that we shouldn't even have led ourselves to. Had Ashley got let go at that time and she said, that's just the enemy attacking me. I would have said, no, that's just God saving you. It's God doing you a favor. It's God doing our relationship a favor. Sometimes we have to transform our thinking. Not everything is Satan. Not everything is the enemy. Sometimes it's us. And sometimes, thankfully, it is God. He intervened. You got people praying for you every single week. And you come to church and you lift up your arms to God and surrender. Don't be surprised when God moves on your behalf, even when it's not what you wanted God to do. Because he's going to move on your behalf. And so we see the justice. The next moment is the Apostle Paul says in the next word, he says, whatever. And we're going to shoot through these with the last couple minutes we have. He says, whatever is pure. Whatever's pure. What he's referencing is he's talking about a ceremonial purity. He's talking about a moment where you and I go to God in a point of confession, in a point of clarity, and a point of surrender. And so we have to ask ourselves with our thoughts, are my thoughts at a place that are defiling towards others and God? Do I have defiling thoughts? Will it corrupt my thinking? Will my thoughts corrupt me and my heart if I give attention to it? And also, if God were to pull my life up right now and my thinking and my decisions, would he find a place of honor or would he find a place of disappointment? You see, when we're impure, we live in a space that constantly says, God, you can read my mail as much as you want. And even in the bad stuff, will you purify me? Will you take me to a place of purity and ceremony where you will cleanse my heart even when I don't want you to look at those areas? A lot of times we just want to come on Sunday and Wednesday and we want to present to God our good half. And we want to let our bad half stay at home or stay on the internet or stay online. But thing is, we bring everything when we come to God. Same thing, the Apostle Paul says, then he goes this, with the last couple of thoughts we have, he says, whatever is lovely. I like this statement. He says, whatever is lovely. You see, what this word he's talking about is he's talking about actions that call forth love. Whatever is lovely. He talks about the pursuit of acting out of a place of love. Our decisions, our actions, our thoughts, even when we are angry, the Bible says to be angry and sin not. Well, how do you do that? You could be angry and you could still act in love. You can be angry and you can act in hate, unloving. You, you can actually make a decision to cut someone out of your life in love, but you can also make a decision to cut someone out of your life out of hate. Someone gets the job you wanted, cut them off. 
Is that a decision of love? No. Someone continuously is harming. You're in your, you left it into your life. They're hurting your marriage. They're hurting your family. They're consistently doing something that you keep trying to talk about. And you say, you know what? This is not good for me and my family. And you cut them out. That is an action of love. But you could still make that action and make it out of hate. It comes to a place of your thinking and your loving. Those go hand in hand. So we have to ask ourselves on a constant basis, am I calling love or am I calling on vengeance? Do my actions call upon love or call upon vengeance? Do my actions call upon forgiveness or does it call upon retaliation? I remember one time I was out in the foyer and someone who was very clearly mentally unstable, but still the threat was nonetheless. And I was out by myself in, in a foyer and someone came to me and they told me, um, I, I don't think you're a real pastor. In order for me to find out, I'm going to follow your wife home one day and I'm going to see how you live. Fellas, someone tells you that they're going to follow your wife home. In that moment, there was a side of me that wanted to not only hurt him really bad, but do a lot more than just hurting. And in that moment, I had to recognize this person was not fully in their right mind. But at the same time, the threat was still there. And so I gave him a kind warning that should he come to my house, he will, he will be met with the wrath of God and the wrath of other things that are in safes. But I also said, I love you enough, and I literally looked at him, I said, I love you enough that I'm going to forgive you that statement, and I said, get your butt into church. I literally said that, and I grabbed him by his shirt, and I pushed him into church. Because there was a moment where I had to make a decision that what were my actions going to be out of? I understood it was a real threat. We have real threat. Mentally, people come all the time who are hurting, who are broken, who have addictions, and they're real. So sometimes we got to have rules in church that don't make sense, but we're using wisdom to keep people safe. But at the same time, you have to exercise love. And so the question is, because I can't really tell whether your action was done in love or hate, because sometimes they really look the same. So only you know, you got to check your heart. Only you know whether your action was done in love or done in vengeance. And only you can answer for that. And only you can speak to God about that. The last one is this, and then there's two last thoughts, and we're going to close with this if Pastor Julio wants to come on out. He says, whatever is commendable. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, you need to find the good in things and good in people. He says, whatever is commendable. If someone is given something and in, 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 in being commended of something, it means that they are being appreciated for something. It means something good is seen. Hey, I commend you for that action. I commend you for helping me out at work when you didn't have to. Oh, wife, I commend you for helping me out at the, around the house with the kids. Husband, I commend you for cleaning up after X, Y. It's a, it's a commending. I see this in you. I see that in you. You cannot commend something in someone and also see the worst in someone. It, they, they don't, those two terms don't work together. Together. And so the Apostle Paul calls us, if you want transformational thinking, if you want to navigate negative thoughts, stop looking for the worst in every situation and every person. 
They just hate me. That place just wants me to quit. That place just wants to get rid of me. They just want to see me fail. I just want that person to fail. I just want that person to experience what they put me through. I just want them to get bad because how they treated my kid. I just, we're always looking and always assuming the worst. But the apostle Paul says, man, you really want, you want to transform your thinking. You want to navigate that negativity. You need to start commending more people. You want transformation in work? Start walking into work every single day. And the most undeserving person of any positive statement, look for one good thing that they did. Maybe they just threw their coffee away in the right receptacle. Maybe that is just the best that they did that day. And you walked up and you said, thank you so much for throwing away your coffee. I see people that work all the time. They leave work and they leave empty cups and I see maintenance having to come in and throw everyone's cups away. Thank you that you throw your cup away. That person's gonna be like, what? Well, yeah, I'll throw my cup away tomorrow. I, yeah, I'll, I'll do it again. And then you start leveling it up. That's how you start to do it. You start to transform yourself and other people. When you just start every single day, say, I'm going to thank one person for one of the most simplest things. And I'm going to see how God transforms my life. And I'm going to get to a place in my own circumstance in life. And I'm going to say, yeah, God, I may be in this prison. I may have a foot of poop up to my legs, but I'm breathing. But I can shout your praises. That's where he gets to at the close right here. He says, now, he says, if anything is excellent, these are last verses. This is the closing statement he makes in terms of the whatevers. He says, if there is any excellence, is there is anything worth praise about these things? He says, do it. In other words, he says, yeah, I, I may be in this prison but it's not going to stop my praise. I may be in this hell, but it's not going to stop my excellence. It's not going to bring me down. My circumstance isn't going to change my actions. My, the enemy is not going to be able to get into my mind, into my heart. I'm going to have transformational thinking. Romans tells us to renew our mind in Jesus Christ. Renew your mind. Let the mind of Christ transform your thinking. And so this message isn't a, the power of positivity in any way. It's the transformation of a mind that is fixed on Jesus Christ. A mind that recognizes the goodness of God and the value of Jesus. Because he is our truth. He is the one who supplies our truth. He is the one who gives us the greatest hope of all. And ultimately, Philippians ends with the greatest theme of all in that entire book. It is this. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. That's his statement. In other words, what he says is, when I live, I will live in Christ. When I die, I will be with Christ. So when I live, I will live in Christ. When I die, I will be with Christ. So he says to be with him is a definite gain than to be in him. And so he says, I will get, should I be in prison and should it take my life? At the end of the day, I am the one winning because Christ has brought me into a relationship with the Father. And that's what it's all about. And so if you're here today and you're looking for a relationship with God, you're looking for a relationship with Jesus, it's by Jesus Christ's stripes, his beaten. Jesus Christ went on the cross, he was naked. He was unashamed. He was beaten to the point that the Bible tells us that not even his mother Mary could recognize his face, her own son. 
because he was beaten that bad. And when he was beaten and his blood was shed, we recognize through the book of Isaiah and through Jesus' own words that it was through his death and his resurrection, his death on the cross, that he would save us of our sins. If, if we would call upon his name, if we would believe that his death and resurrection was for us, to bring us into relationship with the Father. If we could accept Jesus, if we could accept his death and resurrection to be an attribute of our life and to be poured out on our life, and if we believe that he is Lord and Savior and our life becomes transformed in that moment, the Bible says you will be saved. Call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and believe in his death and resurrection, that it is for your life. And Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10 says, you will be saved. It is a promise. Every other religion ends their statement with a question mark. You could do this, and maybe you could get this. But the message of Jesus is the only one that says, call upon the name of Jesus as Lord and Savior. Believe in the death and resurrection and repent of your sins. And it's a period. It's not a question mark. You will be saved. You will have an eternal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ. So if you're here in here today or you're watching online, you're saying, man, that message right there is for me. I want to call upon the name of Jesus. I've been walking away from God. I've been running away from God. I've been letting the power of my mind and my own sin lead me astray. But God is calling me back right now. The good shepherd Jesus is bringing me into his voice, into his life, into his covering. If you're in here today and you say, this is for me or you're online, I just want you right now, we're going to repeat a prayer. By no means is the prayer the thing that saves you. What God is already doing in your life is the transformation at work. By us saying this prayer right now, what we're doing is we are affirming the work that God is doing in your heart right now. So if you would join me, everybody right now, could we repeat this prayer right now while some people say this for the first time or rededicate their life? Join me right now, even if you're watching online. Could you say this with me? Dear Lord Jesus, in this moment, I confess you as Lord and Savior. I repent of my sins. I believe in my heart that you died on the cross, that you rose three days later. From this day forward, I call you Lord, and I will follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Can we give God a hand clap, some praise for what just happened? We really hope you enjoyed the message. And if you said yes to Jesus, we just want to say congratulations and give you a free devotional to help you walk out your faith. Click the link in the description or head over to grow.faith to download your devotional. Oh, and be sure to subscribe and share this podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening to ALSC Podcasts and we hope you tune in again. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.